sisters, welcome back to She Is Becoming with the Grace Church Women's Ministry. I am your co-host Delaney and I am here in the studio with my co-host Bev. Bev. Hello Delaney. Hey. Nice to be here. It's good to see you. Isn't this a special day for us? This is such a special day. We are like so thrilled to introduce and to get to know our friend, our new sister, Rachel. Um, she is a missionary and a dear sister to us. So Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're like so glad that you could come and especially since it's like been snowing and like icy <laughs> roads and we got here safely. So God bless. Well, Rachel, let's just start off by letting you introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Do you have children? What's your connection here with the church? Um, share any little bit of your background that you'd like to share. Oh, thanks, Bev. Well, I am married to Bob, who's a wonderful husband, and I have we have three children. Our oldest is getting married in December 31st. Oh, oh you look much too young for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, our middle child, Joanna, is 18, and she's a sophomore in college over at Crown. Mm-hmm. And then our youngest is a senior in high school, Jacob, and he's a freshman at Crown College. So he's doing the PSEO program. Sure. Yeah. So I actually am one of the old people at Grace. I've been, <laughs> I've been here since I was, I've been a member here since I was 12. Mm-hmm. And I came over from First Baptist Church downtown Minneapolis. So Baptist is in my background. And back in the day when Kenny Kennerud was the missions pastor, were you here then? I've been here 36 years, so probably. (laughs) Yes, because I did the math, and that was exactly that year. I was 14, and in the missions conference on the second Sunday, I don't know if Grace still does this, but there's an altar call. There was an altar call to actually come forward, walk the aisle, and give your life to missions, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. And that was only the second time in my young life that I'd felt the Holy Spirit. Just my heart was pounding, and I just knew he wanted me to go forward and give my life to missions, and I did. Wow. I love that. So since a a, a youth, and don't you um, read statistics that it's often when you're very young that you do get a call to missions? I think so. I don't know. I haven't looked at those statistics recently. I think it's it's overwhelmingly in the youth. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that that was when, like, that was the first time that God called you to missions, but was there, like, a time later in your life where you were like, this is what I'm going to do? Yeah, exactly. I conveniently forgot about it. Yeah. And then I was, you know, through college, I got a couple degrees. I went into master's school and I was looking at which PhD I was going to get. And I was 24. I'd been traveling the world doing short term missions with Rain Ministries. And uh, it was an orphanage in China and what we saw there in one of those orphanages. And I just realized that the direction of my life was not what I wanted. Took a little sabbatical. Back then, we didn't use that word. Uh, A weekend break where I just had a retreat with God. And he reminded me of my commitment as a 14-year-old and really offered a choice to me to either continue on my career or just give my life to missions. And the word back then from, from my father was, you really do have freedom to choose either one, but choosing the path of missions, your faith will never be stretched in, in the same way if you choose the other path. Right. And I just knew that that was what I wanted, and I wanted to follow through. So I changed careers. Was that, like, before or after you met your husband? This was long before. Long Actually, before. we were both singles in missions oh. for a full term before we married. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, that's cool that you guys got to like kind of do it together. Um, so what is your current mission and calling right now? Yeah, well, at this stage of our career, we're with Barnabas International, and the whole focus of our organization is to come alongside missionaries and really shepherd them. Really, it's a pastoral role. And part of Barnabas is to work with each couple or single and say, what's God's calling on you? And because we were in Afghanistan and we were in Turkey, we just said our focus and our hearts always have been to come alongside those working in the unreached people groups. Mm. You know, so right now there's only one Christian for every million Muslims and only three point. Let me look at my notes here. Only three point three percent of all full time workers go to the unreached. Mm -hmm. Right. And it takes a lot of money to get them there. It's on average one hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand dollars to get a worker to the field. And so if they can't stay and fulfill their commitment and be resilient and leave after the average is three to five years, it's really not a good investment in the kingdom work to do translation work, to plant churches, to evangelize unreached peoples. And so we're all about equipping and encouraging and coming alongside people in that kind of work. Yeah, especially like, you know, when you feel like you're alone and isolated, like you need that body of believers, that community to like spur you on. Like I can't even imagine like being all alone and like country that's not my country and like trying to have to do that by myself like navigating that so that's super cool could you kind of describe for us what that ministry looks like how you encourage and what are some of those challenges and blessings wow yeah i mean it's a great question we probably could take the whole podcast time (laughs) on that but um you know coming alongside people who are in the middle of persecution and they're coming to you with a really complex pastoral type problem a spiritual problem that they're probably having and they don't actually want to put it in the newsletter back home like they're struggling with let's just say for an example god doesn't seem to be doing anything here he's not listening it's sure. hard work yeah. nobody's sure. coming to no christ fruit. right I'm that getting, would be very disheartening yeah and what i'm often faced with is they're looking to me for a, a word of encouragement a cup of cold water and I, I literally have no clue, but if I give them a truth-based answer, something they already know, that's not even helpful, right? They're looking for something, but anything that comes out of my mouth, I know that I'm speaking to a worker who could be dead tomorrow for the cause of Christ, wow. right? Ugh. So I'm going to be really, really— Stakes are high. I, they are, and so I'm going to be really careful what I say mm-hmm. to them, that mm-hmm. what do they need, and what do they need? They really need to be connected to the Father through his spirit. So oftentimes I'll say, where do you sense God speaking to you right now in this really horrific situation you might be in? Mm-hmm. You know, So you take them back to that relationship. We are always God. taking them back because mm-hmm. let's say I hear something that's an incorrect theology. I don't have time to correct that because I only might have a half an hour with this person, right? We might be on an audio Skype or Zoom call and it's unstable. So I have to choose my words carefully, and if I can just connect them to the Spirit and help them see where he's working, how he's speaking to them, he will take care of some of those problems that I just simply can't even address. Does that make sense? It does, and that would be a great challenge Mm -hmm. um, when you feel like you you receive their burden and then to try in the best way to help them, but yet it has to be um, real. It it can't just be a platitude or stamp a verse on their forehead. that would be challenging. Yeah. It requires you walking in the spirit as yeah. well, doesn't it, Rachel? Yeah, you got it. And that's that's where the Lord's really refined me over these last really 30 years overseas or in mission work. Because being Baptist, we often don't connect 
with the spirit, you know, yeah. we, we tend to emphasize more of the truth and the spirit and really bringing that together in a daily walk is really important for me, but also to enable and equip workers to be resilient. Could you give us an example of, of how you would encourage someone make up a situation and. Well, I, I mean, I have a lot of real situations. Um, yesterday, this woman who's in a horrific, um, there's no book on this. There's no, nobody's walked the path this woman is in. It, it, it always has to do with the enemy is seeking to devour our children. And I think they have larger targets on us when sure. we're in ministry. Of course. And, of course, we have some prodigals involved who have made absolutely just, just um, I, can't, I can't even use words, just the, where these, these, these children are at is awful, just awful. And she, she was asking, they often are, missionaries are often saying, well, what should I do? And they look to you, but if you say what you think they should do, you're now responsible, right? And yeah. we can't do that. We yeah. have to connect Careful them with the with Father. Advice. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me, and i just like, oh, Lord, I have no idea what to say. And there's so much pain and grief involved, and yeah. I can see the exhaustion on her face because we, um, we were on a FaceTime on uh-huh. the phone. And I just said, when you were last faced with a decision like this, this is a long-term crisis, where did you sense the Lord speaking to you? And at what time did he finally give you the answer on what you should do? So I was trying to reconnect her with how he has spoken to her in the past, because then she can discern Mm -hmm. where the Lord is speaking to her now, and he will give her the answer on what to do. Yeah. Which is such a word for all of us because really our job like as friends or mentors or whoever is always to point our sister or brother like back to Christ because there's ultimately nothing that I can say that's going to help you No, in a situation. No, and, and the advice, we, we do feel so responsible. If you give advice, that's, that's taking it a whole step further, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, Rachel, you shared some of the, the, you know, the great challenges, but what have been your blessings? Um. I would say some of the blessings is we get to walk, even from our little tiny base here in Minnesota, we get to walk with people all over the world because we're connecting uh, through the internet, through the phone with people in especially Central Asia and the Middle East where there's a lot of war and difficulties going going on. And I think being able to walk with both foreigners in these situations and local believers who are also taking up the mantle and they're going cross-culturally within Central Asia and you begin to see how God is working in other cultures through other cultures. It it doesn't look like an American mission view, but you can see the fruit because Jesus said you'll know by their fruit, right? Yes. And so it's it's really cool to have a global perspective of his family and then what he's doing. I, think I, I would imagine it would enlarge your view of God. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the, the biggest both problem in with missions is that people often have an incorrect view of God, their theology of God, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and how the kind of box they've we're, put them in, we're all impacted by our cultural view of God. Yes. And then to see him do something that's a little bit outside my box is really really cool you know and the spirit is clear it's very clear when when the spirit's working um and just the encouragement you get when you have another brother or sister who doesn't look like you at all but they're experiencing the exact same thing they're having the exact same joys the exact same pains and losses and questions of god i i would say that's that's just a huge privilege to get to walk with that that is that is beautiful it's uh the that the gospel is more than just the American gospel, you know, yeah. that it's for the world. I love that. Um, is there like a passage, a verse, or like some story from the Bible that you 
typically lean on when times are tough? Yeah, I I, I didn't really go into Afghanistan like with a p- specific verse. And what I discovered during that time of living in a war zone, of having like the first time having massive fear of actually my life, right. of the chaos and the constant threats and the uncertainty. And what I found comforting to my surprise was Daniel. I mean, you would have thought it would have been the New Testament. But yeah. um, there's some verses both in Daniel 2 and Daniel 4 where in Daniel 2, he's praising the Lord God, who he's totally in control. He's on his throne, and nothing takes him by surprise. And then King Nebuchadnezzar, after his seven years of being like an animal, he came out of that. And some of the first words out of his mouth was, God sets up, God takes down. And, of course, we all know um, King Nebuchadnezzar saw all nations um, really come to an end and bow before the eternal kingdom. And I think... What that does for my heart is, you know, I'm just a farm girl from Minnesota. And I'm like, what's a girl like me doing in Kabul, Afghanistan, or in Turkey, where there's bomb after bomb after bomb, and there's just absolute chaos. You've got leaders that are horrible. People are groaning under injustice. And I just would turn to this perspective that both Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar had. And I'm like, well, I need to do my part. But someday this will all end, and God is in in control of all of this. So I don't know. That really helped me. The eternal perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that just God, like, is in control. And, yeah, we all we can do is just be faithful to what he's called us to now and in the moment. And yeah. there's, that's nothing else we can do. Yeah. I love that. So is this a ministry you and your husband share together? And how are the children? Have they ever participated in any of that? Yeah, definitely. Bob and I are very much co-laborers together. Uh, we we work very well together. He is an absolute expert and gifted at training, which is what a lot of what we do. We do training, which opens the doors to relationships with people working front line. Oh, that's and important. Then, exactly. And then from there, you know, we can branch out into doing even more work with local believers when we're visiting folks. So we work really well together. I'm the researcher on a lot of things. <laughs> um, as far as the children, you know, there's two philosophies and missions. One is the children are little missionaries with you. And one is, and this is the way we've gone, they're not. They are called to, they are our children. God gave them to us and we have a responsibility to them, but we don't view our children as, like, part of our ministry. They are not missionaries. They haven't made a choice in the matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't. We, we never wanted to force our Christianity on our children. Um, we definitely had standards in the family. We, th- we have standards in our family. Um, but we want to just be very open-handed about our belief in God, our calling, what our expectations are when it comes to the ministry and the church. There are some times where we say, okay, we're going to ask you to do this thing. Um, and, you know, we're going to pay them if they're helping us out with something. Uh, we didn't always do that. But we really tried to be really careful so that they didn't resent the ministry and they didn't resent God, most importantly. They didn't feel, like, forced. Exactly. They're not. Yeah. And, I'm, I mean, my parents aren't missionaries, but my parents are pastors. So definitely can get that as the child, like, feeling forced. I never felt forced by my parents, even though I would say the same, like, that there were standards and we were taught truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but then growing up, you're like, okay, I actually, like, want to do this now. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, like, different. Yeah. But I like that perspective. That's cool. 
Um, how would you encourage others who also may be feeling the call to missions? Well, that's a great question. And I, I have here, I have like six things I could say. Mm-hmm. But the problem, and, and they're all really good, and I think some of these would shock the listeners. The problem with this is that it's still a doing thing. And, and that's the problem in how we go about mission, modern missions. And in fact, if you look at the history of the last 300 years of modern missions, all movements started with a revival. Mm. You know, so interesting. even that sign outside that says, you know, the mission field starts here. The problem with that is that it makes it sound like the mission field starts when we leave the church. And actually, I think we, not just missionaries, we Christians need to remember that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves mm-hmm. first. And it has to be continual. Mm-hmm. Lord, just help me to be faithful through this pandemic that is so exhausting and wearying. And so many people are, are struggling in this um, economically, but certainly with their Christian faith even, like what's God up to, you know? So we need to start with preaching the gospel to ourselves. And Lord, would you just bring a revival? Because when we have revival, then his spirit leads people overseas. Yeah. And that's how the work is. If we get all focused on methods and, you know, of course there's certain training that's important. So we definitely, we, we recommend training like perspectives, but that can't take the place of, a person going overseas who really has solid spiritual formation and awareness of how God speaks to them. That would be key, mm-hmm. what we would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. It is. It is. So the training that you do, um, give us a few examples of that kind of training that you would give to the missionaries. Well, probably the things that, that has surprised me the most being who I am, where I've come from, what my education was in college and so forth. Which was what? Well, I started out with a biology degree, and then I got a teaching degree, and then I got a master's in education degree, and then I do have a doctorate in religious biblical studies. That's variety. Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) You are well-rounded. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I'm actually, I view myself as a global uh, cross-cultural risk expert, right? So we have business risk, we have insurance risk. There's actually a lot of research on gambling risk. But we went to Afghanistan with a really solid theology of suffering. What we didn't have was a theology of risk. And so I wrote a dissertation on it. And the thing that we find is that that risk, when you're risking your life on a regular basis under constant threat, and, you know, for us, the Taliban were constantly saying all foreigners that were there looking to kidnap uh, any foreigner and either ransom or, or kill, right? And so we need to have a risk theology that helps us because we actually haven't suffered yet. And so I wrote a book and my husband wrote a training and we give a two-day training on a theology of risk that helps workers know how to make the decision. So we've had we've had missionaries here at Grace that have consulted with us and they've been under death threat. Um, they've been under the threat of having their visas revoked and then they'd have to be kicked out and blacklisted permanently. And there's definitely been a lot of that going on, especially in the last year from a number of key countries. What a key thing to be helping people with. I, you know, someone was to come to me or to you, Delaney, would we know what to say? No. Thank the Lord yeah. for people like you, yeah. Rachel, who are willing to, to educate yourself and step forward and help in these very practical and real uh, situations that our dear missionaries find themselves in. Yeah. So you do two two days on the risk. 
the theology of risk. Never heard the term. Yeah. That is profound to me. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I, to be honest, I'm thinking, I'm like, I've never heard anything like that before because it's before the suffering. Wow. Okay. I want to take this kind of. Yeah. yeah. Well, we actually do recommend people who are part of sending to yeah? take it as well because really? then they know more That's about how so to support, cool. support it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, that would be, a, a, I think, a great next question for us. That's um, so cool. Yeah. What kind of support from others? You've been in missions now a, a while. What kind of support from other people really helps you the most? Oh, people always want to know, what can I do? Maybe they can't go, but let's chat with some ideas on that. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, the first thing I would say is just to be known. So this podcast is awesome. So thanks for inviting me. Our, our, our <laughs> yeah. joy and so privilege. glad you're here for real. Yeah. yeah, because it's another generation really to, that's getting to know us, and we actually have been worried about that. I, worry is probably too strong of a word, but just like Lord, um, the people that were supporting us from the beginning were our parents' age, right? And those people yes. are all in their eighties, most yes. of them. And so it's like, well, how are we going to have people who know us and support us? And I'm not, when I say support, I do mean finances, but I don't just mean finances. I mean prayer support. I mean knowing us. We've got people who send us emails and they're praying for us, but they're also supporting us in other ways. And I'd even forgotten how much one family in grace had really invested in our children on every furlough. Mm-hmm. I, I just forgot. I hadn't realized that when we asked them about their children, their childhood experience, that couple that's in, in grace came up. And I just forgotten. I love those people. But I hadn't recognized from a children's perspective how important that couple was. Wow. And so that's kind of support, just being known, being loved on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were given advice by our mentors over a decade ago that said, try to find five people in the world who will love your children, but they can't be relatives. You know, other adults who are invested. And we actually, um, we immediately did that because we're constantly risking our own lives. We want people that will know our children if we were to to be killed, right? And so we actually went to... What a perspective. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We actually went to that couple and said, hey, we just want you to know we love you and we trust you with our children. Not not to parent them, but to come alongside them if our kids really ever needed them in a larger capacity. How did they do that? How does that couple do that? Yeah, how did they walk beside your children? Well, there's a lot of times, like back in the ministry situation where mom and dad, we have to go off and do things. And so we need people that our children feel comfortable around to be with. You know, so we might say, hey, could they come stay at your house for a week? And this is on furlough. So we didn't always drag our kids along with us either because kids don't usually like that. Yeah, especially like (laughs) when you're in school and, you know, all the things. Yeah. Yeah. So this family invested in them. I hadn't remembered how many furloughs they'd invested in our kids. Wow. Now you're back for missions week. You're you're yeah. coming into the church and being uh, part of all the activities. Um, how how does this encourage you? Well, I mean, like Delaney said before we started here, she was just a child when they first came to the church, and so you've known of me and I've known of you, but yeah. I've never really seen you, and yeah. you've probably never really seen me besides the pictures. Right. Yeah, I've seen lots of pictures, for sure. <laughs> lots of, lots of things. Heard your name many times. Yeah. Well, thank you. But <laughs> it's just good to get to know people and to be known, like I said. And, you know, that's, I do want the Lord to use my life to encourage others. Mm-hmm. So And to be part of. Yeah, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. We, we do view all of our, both churches and our supporters, it's a two-way relationship. We have our needs and the church has their needs. And so it's a, we want relationships. So the people that have supported us through the last 30 years are people that understand what we're doing and why we speak the way we do, why we, why we do what we do, because there's not a lot of fruit that we can put in big 
capital letters up there, right. you know. Right. But crucial. A crucial piece of the ministry that is so needed when, especially when they're often isolated, missionaries are often isolated and don't have that ongoing training that a lot of other ministries provide for their people. So uh, does a missions organization contact you and ask for your services, or do individual missionaries come to you and ask? You know, it goes, it goes, all, the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> and, and I would say Barnabas, our, the heart of our ministry is really to shepherd people. It's really a lot more of the one-on-one. So for Bob and I, the training is just the door opener to build the relationships. You have to build credibility so that missionaries will listen to you. Because Absolutely. they're not going to listen to somebody who's really not had the experience. Right. It, it just, I, I hate to say it that way. That sounds so exclusive. Because there are people that could come in and really speak the word, but... It just has to be done carefully and well. You have to get insight. passport with people. You do, and then and then they're more open, and and you'll have the, then the opportunities to to come alongside them. Like it just yeah. goes back to that relationship. Like you build trust in a relationship with a friend, and you build trust with missionaries, and they build trust with you. And it's I love that that it's really a relationship. Yeah, anybody who's been in a career in a certain industry at this stage of of a career, we're in our third, fourth decade now, you've already developed networks around the world in different regions, which for us, that's the case. So our, our name is known through the risk profile. And so we'll get called on. Some people know us by one name and some people know us by a different name. And so we will get called on by missionaries and by organizations around the world. Um, and, like, there's a dear gal that just wrote and said, well, I really want to take your we're, – we're doing a lot of Zoom trainings now because of COVID. We don't yeah. like it at all because it's not in person. Right. Right? You can't have as much it's conversation. It's not the same. It's yeah. really not. But this dear gal – and you know what's happening in Hong Kong. It's just awful what's happening in Hong Kong right now. Um, the Chinese government is coming in and just – Shutting down everything. It's it's really a big crackdown. And so this some missionary there wants to take our training, but it's her middle of the night. You know, so my heart goes out to her because there's a reason why she wants this. She wants to know where God is in this and how to make a decision about whatever she's doing uh, in relation. And so um, China is really cracking. It's we're really back to where we were under Mao Zedong. We're moving there quickly, in other words. Yeah, yeah, that's what I hear, too. Oh, what a calling. Could you walk us through your day? <laughs> a day in the life. <laughs> yeah, we, that's really hard because, and I do love this part of my my life is that every day is so different. There's a huge variety. We would say that that probably right now under COVID, of course, we can't travel. So thirty percent of our time is going to be training related to that. Probably thirty to forty percent is one-on-ones with workers through a through a device. Somehow, uh-huh. we have done some debriefings in our home where they've actually come in. Um, let's see, and we've had some organizations or churches have us travel within the United States to do some training and things like that. Uh, and then we handle all of the admin for our ministry. So when you look wow. at that, that's yeah. um, a whole nother piece. It is. And then, do you write? Do you uh, create training materials? I don't really, that's not my life's work is Mm -hmm. (laughs) actually, so Bob's the one that developed the training and I am writing my second book right now on mature courage. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I don't really want to train this. (laughs) 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 Um, Maybe the Lord will have other plans, but what I have experienced in my missionary career is there's a lot of bad theology and preaching on fear. And there's a lot of bad preaching on what is courage. And in fact, courage 
defined by the church. I, I feel like the Greco-Roman interpretation of courage has been imported into the text. And a Greco-Roman interpretation of courage is based on a Greek male body who is an Olympian or, mm-hmm. and that's a white male body, let me just say that, um, yeah. or a Greek warrior. And that doesn't really fit a biblical Hebraic view of courage. Right. And why is this important? Well, because it's easy to say, well, have courage, but then again, like risk, what does that look like? And I've discovered as I've researched that I'm definitely a coward in some ways. <laughs> yeah, and I have courage I in other that. areas. Right. I mean, we're all, it's a mix. Right. You know, so I just feel like there needs to be some clear teaching on that, and so that's what I'm working. So, how right would you now. define courage? Now, my curiosity. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> well, in um, you, when you're facing risk, let's say something we faced for at least five years was threats of kidnapping, and we've had guns at our head. My husband has had Taliban point guns at his head. Um, we've had robbers come into our home, and that's a whole story. And so the, the thing is, is you're going to feel fear, right? One of the common teachings in the American church is, well, don't, don't have fear. Well, it's taking an English interpretation of the text that says do not fear. But in the Hebrew, it means don't turn into wax. And if you start reading the Psalms and you hear David, yeah. he'll say my, my heart is, my heart is soft yes. or yes. wax. Yeah. And that's all. I've got fear. Well, you can't have courage without fear. No. So if I say, if I say, if I say I'm hungry, I haven't eaten, well, I can't help the hunger, right? Well, I'm being threatened with my life. I should feel some fear. That's like a normal human response, which means it's not sin. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with the teaching of the church is, well, it's sin if you're feeling or walking in fear. Mm -hmm. But if I can walk forward, even though I am afraid, that's courage. That defines courage, doesn't it? Right. And that's what we did in Afghanistan, but I didn't realize all of this craziness was going on. And so that's why sorting out the theology, but we can't just say fear is all the same because we do have fears of craziness that that aren't real. We're insecure. So we have to also sort through the different words for fear in the text, Mm -hmm. in the Hebrew and the Greek and not the English. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow, this is a great word for all of us today, Rachel. Thank you so much for that. You know, there's a lot of women listening right now. Delaney, how do you think that, what do you think they would like to ask her? Um, I think that I would like to, well, first, I would like to ask you, what would, what would you say, like, is something that the church teaches that is, like, detrimental to going into the mission field, like preparedness or about the fear or about the courage like that you were saying? Like, is there something that the church teaches that like people like missionaries come to you and they just have a completely wrong understanding about what it is and then when they're in the mission field? Do you know what I mean? I do. And, and that's a really, that's a great question. Um, I, I just, I want, I'm going to phrase it slightly more, po- I'm going to try to slightly, you know, phrase it slightly more yes, positively. That would be great. Yes. Um, you know, Leslie Newbegin was a missionary to India, and he was a British missionary, British pastor. And one of the things he kind of was describing how fish, when they're in the water, they don't they don't know what the water is. They're just in it. They can't see it, right? And the blessing of going overseas is you're immersed in another culture, and then when you look back, you can see the culture, the water of your home country. This happens to everybody, no matter what country they're coming from, to go overseas. And so when you go overseas, you look back after I just talked with a missionary who's been there for two months and she's in complete crisis. And she's like, how do I even talk to those people back there? The senders whom we want to love and bless because they're giving us money to go. Right. Right. And I said, listen, 
The American church tends to think in a binary way. Binary means good, bad, right, wrong. Okay? But we never, and we teach truth, which we want to protect the church from heresy. We do. Okay? So I'm not dissing the truth. But if we overemphasize the truth and don't equip people with the skill, I call it the muscle of discernment. Right? Because you get overseas and it's not so black and white. It's you can't tell always what's right and wrong. And Hebrews addresses this. Hebrews five fourteen says, Solid food is for the mature who have their senses trained to discern what is good or evil. And one of the problems that missionaries get into is they can't discern reality because the threats are so loud. They can't make sense of what's actually happening. And so we have to say, let's look with our spiritual eyes and say, what's actual reality here, which is how God sees things. Mm -hmm. It's not the threats. The Taliban can't do anything unless he allows that, right? Right. And it's the same here is um, it's not always so simple. Now, I I don't want to have people think I'm a heretic, okay? (laughs) But this is not about questioning the truth. It's about applying it. Yeah. How to know how to apply it in another culture and in a risky situation, maybe? Yeah, but even here, we need discernment. Absolutely. We need discernment to know, and it's not always clear because the Bible doesn't address every single situation you're going to face. It's principles in Scripture. It is, but we don't teach that. Where, when have you ever heard a sermon on discernment? I've never, I'm 50, I've never heard a sermon on this. So maybe I'm the one that's odd. And it's I don't a spiritual know. gift as well discernment. Yeah, and it can be developed. And so this is my heart is, Lord, give me discernment to know what to say here. I have no idea. And sometimes he'll pop a question in. But I my heart is I want to raise my children with discernment and to see, hey, you know, if you go too much this way, that that's going to lead you on a bad path. Let's discern your ways. And the Bible is always addressing that discern God's ways, discern your ways, you know, look at look at him and understand what's going on. Take those principles and make decisions. Yeah, based on that, because it doesn't address every specific situation. And yeah, I'm sure it becomes even more confusing cross cultural. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that does that really answer your question that you No, it does. And I was just thinking too, like, the deep Holy Spirit dependence. Yeah. Like when you see no like if you can't discern reality, like the only thing you can cling to is like Holy Spirit, like help me. Yeah, and He will. Yeah. I I can just testify to His faithfulness. Absolutely. I didn't know if I would live through Afghanistan. He didn't give me any promises ever, but I did know He was with me, and He was giving me the power to just keep putting one foot in front of an, the other. Mm, beautiful. Well, maybe the last question here that we could talk about would be: How would you encourage the women listening right now to take up? the mission work in their own home and their own neighborhood? Well, yeah, I just love that question because we do want to be doing it here. And the thing that I just want to say is whatever works in the jungles of Indonesia and works in the mountains of of Afghanistan works in Eden Prairie. I, I, I know people are more than Eden Prairie here, but it really all boils down to our relationship with the Lord. We don't need to learn more theology. We don't need to read more books. We need to be walking with the Spirit on a daily basis through His Word and cultivating that discernment. And you go and you meet somebody who's not from your culture, and you can say, Lord, what should I say? Yeah. And, of course, we can have you know social skills and I sometimes felt so lacking. I would actually write questions in my phone to remember what to say when I my mind would go blank in that's a social so me. situation. Yeah, that's so me. Oh my gosh, yeah. 
and so, yeah, we can just, uh, I just want to encourage people, don't make it complicated. Just right. ha- read your Bible that day if, if you have time. And if you don't, a worship song and just walk in the spirit and the Lord will make the way. And I, I guess my, so- my view of God's sovereignty has greatly expanded since being overseas. We can trust him. He will bring to mind what we need in the moment. And so I want to encourage women with that. I, I also want to encourage a gentle discipleship. And I learned this from my niece, who's just a little bit older than, than you, Delaney. She works in a, in a place in the United States where the kids going to that college have the most gender confusion. And she said she walked with one of the, the students, the female students, for a year just teaching about God. And finally, after a year, the girl said, well, I guess if God made me a female, it must be a good gift. And that was her step of discipleship, and she hadn't, hadn't even committed to Christ yet. How beautiful right. is that? It was. Yeah, I, lo- I just wow. loved what my niece was doing. And and so I just thought, you know what? Sometimes we just need to start at the beginning because that's where our culture is right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Start walking beside people and yeah. And loving and just like With just relationships. O- yeah. Just obey. Like, I don't know. We've been we've been learning about that like on the podcast too, is like just do it. Just obey what God says. Like mm-hmm. there's just so much like joy in it. And I'm glad that you said that. But that's super beautiful. Um, Bev, can we just pray over Rachel? Like, I'm just so thankful that like you came on this podcast and, um, I'm just so encouraged by what you had to say. And I know that our sisters will be as well, but we just want to pray encouragement over you here before we end. Heavenly father, thank you for this gift of time that we've had with Rachel, Lord. What a treasure she must be in your sight, Lord. You have filled her with so much and have made her the hands and feet and courage and wisdom of yourself, reaching out to people who have great need. Lord, I pray that you would continue to equip, protect, give her skills and wisdom that would help the most. Lord, may she be fully surrendered to you on every movement of your spirit as she just so boldly talked about the importance of that. Continue to give her and her husband discernment as they move forward in their ministry. We pray for your protection and blessing and discernment for her children. Lord, may they they know their path that you have laid out for them Mm. and embrace it with such joy. So, Father, again, thank you for this special time together. And may we take what we've learned today and maybe how we've been inspired and put it into practice. And it's in Christ's name we've prayed. Amen. 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 Well, it was great to be with you, sisters. Join us in two Mondays on She Is Becoming.